We're going to continue our study through the book of Ephesians. I pray this has been a, uh, an enjoyable study for you as you've taken a deeper dive, uh, looking at these passages, allowing the Spirit to, to transform your heart as, as you've done so. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of that, and, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter tonight, looking at verses 15 to 23, uh, and really zeroing in on a couple of, of aspects that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in this portion of text. So really, really exciting. So let's pray and we'll dive in here. Father, you are good. So excited to be here to open up your word, uh, to spend a few moments looking at this text and thinking through what it means for us uh, to be people of prayer, uh, to be people who strive to be more like you, to grow in wisdom and knowledge, to have clearer focus on you, Lord. Uh, So open up our minds and our hearts over these next few moments, and Lord, allow me to speak what is right and true, Uh, and may, uh, above all things, may you be glorified as a result. We pray this in the name of Christ. Uh, Amen. Well, I I see a lot of new faces in the building, so for those who may not know, I'm Isaiah. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Highland. Um, And what I also wanted to share is uh, that you may not know, I actually have three sons, uh, I have, and, and a wife of, of 18 years. We just celebrated her 18-year anniversary. But my three sons, I have one son, Noah, who's 17. There's a picture behind me. He's a senior in high school. He's number 72 on the screen. I have Elijah, who's 15. Uh, he's a freshman in high school. And Titus is 12. He's a seventh grader. Uh, so those are, those are my boys. And I was actually thinking, how do you know when you're, you're ready to, to move past the young adult phase is when your kids become young adults? Um, so I actually have a student, a son, who's going to be in a young adult group next year, which is just mind-boggling to me. But anyway, that, that's my crew, and I love being a dad to these three guys. I, I love that, uh, that 17 years ago, my name went from Isaiah to dad. Like, I, I love that. And there's, there's not a day goes by that there's not some kind of adventure with my sons. And if you have raised sons or you have sons, like you know, raising boys is, is just, it's an adventure, and right now, the adventure that we have in my house is called football. Uh, so as you saw, those three boys, that's, that's from this season. And they, they play on Tuesday night, on Thursday night, on Friday night. So three nights of my, weeks, uh, of my week is just dedicated to watching football. So I have it kind of rough right now. Um, <laughs> but one of the interesting things about where we're at, so we live on the east side, so we play at Wassa East. And now if you know anything about the Wassa East program, it's kind of been in a, it's been in turmoil for the last several years. Um, I would say this is the first year in maybe five or six seasons where there hasn't been some kind of chaos. It's just been steady uh, and, and we've competed well. Uh, but I will say it's been a challenge because we're a bit of a smaller school compared to the, the teams we play. So we're a D3 school and most of the teams we play are Division I. So that would be like University of Eau Claire playing the Wisconsin Badgers every week. That's kind of what we do every week. So we're pretty much outclassed, outmatched. The talent gap is pretty broad. But I tell you what, I am, I am so proud of my kids when they take the field every single, every single night that they play because they, they fight and they compete so hard. Many of the games are 44-0. The, the score is totally lopsided. We've won a few. Like it's, it's just so fun for me to see them take the field and, I, and, and just compete their hearts out. I love that as a dad. It makes me feel good. The scoreboard is irrelevant to me. How they, how they perform doesn't matter. How hard you work, are you being a player of integrity? That's what matters. And my boys do that every single week. I love that. 
And one of the pieces of advice is that, that I got actually not that long ago from one of the fathers here at Highland was, Isaiah, always look for a reason to affirm your boys and be specific. Call it out of them. Be, be intentional about that. So what I've decided to do this season is no matter what happens on the field, uh, I'm going to meet my sons on the football field. I'm going to hug them. I'm going to tell them that I love them. And I'm going to say, I'm proud of you. And, so I, I was, and then we'll talk specifics of the game. And I've been able to do that every game this season. It's been uh, one of the things I look forward to every time they play. And you might be asking yourself, okay, what in the world does this have to do with our text tonight? Well, this is what I'm expressing to you is a type of pride. It's a parental type of pride where I have an opportunity to see something good and, and something, uh, something worth affirming in my boys. And I have an opportunity to affirm that and tell them, hey, I'm proud of you. And what we see in our text tonight is Paul is doing the same thing. He sees these these group of believers in Ephesus, and they're doing some really wonderful things. They're growing in the Lord. They're loving each other well. And Paul has an opportunity to say, hey, I'm proud of you. It's a parental type of pride. It's him, it's him affirming some really wonderful qualities in this group of people. This is not a sinful type of pride. This has nothing to do with an arrogant heart or puffing himself up. This has everything to do as, as a good father would do. He would, he would tell his, his sons, hey, I'm proud of you. He's telling his kids, hey, I see this. I'm proud of you. And this is what we see in our text. So with that in mind, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And we'll notice uh, what Paul has, uh, has excited him so much. Verses 15 to 23 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the content of this prayer, I think, is really fascinating. Now think about this for a second. How many of us would love to open a letter, a handwritten note, and the, and, and the first few sentences of that letter says, hey, I've been noticing some things in your life. You are, you are spending some, some great quality time with the Lord in your private time. You are a person of prayer. I see the evidence of fruit in your life. And I just wanted to take a few moments to tell you all the wonderful things I see in you. How many would like to open up a letter and have the first few sentences say that about yourself? Right? The rest of you are lying. Like, we would all love that. We would all love to have someone say, man, Isaiah, I see the evidence of the Spirit working in your life. I see your faith growing. I see how you're loving each other. I see what is going on in your life. I've been observing this, and I just wanted to say, I'm proud of you. And I just wanted to say, I'm praying for you. Well, what is it that impresses Paul so much? Well, I think we see it right away in our text tonight. Paul is affirming their faith in Christ and their love for each other their faith in Christ and their love for each other. 
This is what impresses Paul so much. These are the two reasons that has moved Paul to this level of pride, their faith in Christ and their love for each other. Now, I want to unpack these in tandem. Because if we look at some other portions of Scripture, this idea of faith and love, they're often used together. I mean, even how Paul expressed himself in other parts of his writings, he does the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and love. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And he goes on and on. These are just a couple of examples. So we see these two words, faith and love, often used in tandem. So I think it's important for us to unpack them in tandem. Well, let's talk about faith first. In the Greek, this word is the Greek word pistis. And it means a couple of different things. There's a two components of faith that I believe Paul is talking about here. One is salvific faith, one where we have heard the message of the gospel, the message of Christ, and by faith have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's one way. Then a, another way is, is sanctifying faith, where not only have we placed our faith in Christ, but now because we have embraced him as our Lord and Savior, now we are living in obedience and we are growing in our faith in Christ. And I believe Paul is referencing both things um, in this text. You, you have believed in Christ and now you are growing in Christ. And, and like Paul, we celebrate this, right? There are probably a number of us who have taken leaps in our faith. We have received Jesus. Now we're growing in Jesus. We celebrate that. And of course, this leads to our next word, because Paul is also really excited about how they're loving each other, how they're loving one another. So we have pistis. This is faith. And then the Greek word that Paul uses here is agape. And I'm sure we're familiar with that term. We've, we've heard it. We've maybe seen it on a coffee mug somewhere. We kind of know what, what agape means. And of course, it reflects the love of God that he has for humanity that, that is ultimately displayed in his son, Jesus. It's a sacrificial kind of love. I think we know that. But what else? I think there's something else equally as important is, is how that love, that sacrificial love that has been shown to us by God those of us who are believers, as we believe in God and the sacrifice of his son by faith and become followers of him, now that love that we have, it flows out of us to other people. So this word agape also reflects a love feast that, that these believers would have had together. It's a fellowship meal that they would have shared that just shows how much they love one another. There's unity, there's togetherness, there's closeness, there's, there's love, mutual love for one another. And Paul is looking at their faith. He's hearing of their faith. He's hearing about how they love one another and how they're actually expressing that towards one another. And he says, I'm proud of you. Thank you so much for how you're being an example to other people. Thank you for what you're doing. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. What if, what if we truly embraced a, a, a love like what is being expressed in the church in Ephesus in this moment? Where we have someone who says, hey, I hear what's going on. I see what's going on. I just got to say, I love how you love one another. I think it would be unlike anything we've ever seen in church before. I think it would just greatly and drastically impact who we are as followers in our, in, in our specific context. I think there would be unity like we've never seen before. 
I think needs would be met. I think palpable joy would be felt in every single room. And I think people in the Wausau area would say, man, what in the world is going on at Highland Community Church? Those people love each other like crazy. Something's up with that, right? Even Jesus expressed this is how people would know that we're disciples of him, right? Think of John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Evidently, at least for Paul, they were known for a people that loved each other. They were for each other. They celebrated each other's wins. They helped each other through their failures. They loved each other. And Paul was saying, thank you. I'm, I'm praying for you. And this is one of the ways that Paul expressed his pride was in his prayer. And fueled with this pride, he, he says, I'm, I'm praying for you consistently. I'm praying for you constantly. And we notice a couple of very specific things that Paul is praying for in regards to this, to this group of people. The first thing that Paul prays for, the first request, if you will, is he prays that they might receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in his knowledge. Hey, I love what you're doing. You're growing, you're loving each other, but I'm going to pray that this deepens for you, that you have further wisdom and further revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from this. See, essentially, Paul is praying that, that they would allow the Holy Spirit to bring them into a deeper relationship with Christ. See, when Paul says, hey, I want you to grow in wisdom and knowledge, he's not primarily talking about facts here. He doesn't want them to have a greater stat sheet on Jesus, right? They don't, he's not interested in just knowing the, the, the rep that Jesus has. Hey, he was born in Bethlehem. I think his mom was a virgin. Like, that's cool. Like, but that's not Paul, that's not what he's interested in here. He's not interested in just the facts of Jesus. He's interested in something deeper. Maybe I can illustrate this way. In 2013, uh, I was living in northern Indiana at the time. That's where I'm originally from. And at the summer of that year, there was a Christian uh, music festival called Friend Fest. It's kind of like Life Fest here, but it was in northern Indiana. And there was, there was a couple of bands playing that I was really excited about. One was Toby Mac. I like Toby Mac. And the other one was for King and Country. Just so happened my boys, who were very little at the time, loved Toby Mac. Just loved him. He was the headliner. So he was going to close the show on the Saturday night. Something, two things amazing happened this weekend. The first thing that happened was uh, for King and Country was playing a, a show. They were kind of in the midday. And what's awesome about for King and Country is they have like 12 or 13 drummers on the stage. And they're like moving around and they're jumping from one set to the next and one kit and they got bongos here and one guy's hopping on a piano and playing. It was an, an amazing show. Throughout that time, at some point, one of the drummers broke a stick. And my youngest, I think it was my youngest son, ended up with one of those drumsticks. And so we have this, and I thought that was pretty cool. We, we gave it to, to, to my son. And, and after the show's over, Joel and Luke, the singers of the band, are signing autographs. They're not very well known at the time. They're kind of up and coming. And so we go to their booth. They're signing autographs. In my mind, we got a picture. I couldn't find one. And Amy's like, well, maybe it happened in your head and not in real life. But, but I did meet them. I did meet them. And so anyway... We got their drumstick sign. I think we still have that somewhere. And uh, just chatting with him about life. Hey, enjoyed your show. Thanks for your ministry, that kind of a thing. So that, that was the first thing that, that happened. That was super cool. 
The second thing that happened was on the, the closing show, the Toby Mac concert. See, Co- Toby Mac was on the main stage. He was doing his thing. Uh, his band was, was awesome. And at some point during that show, there was another smaller stage kind of set up in the throng of people. He left the main stage and ran to that smaller stage, sang a couple of songs, and then went back. Well, on his way back, I just happened to be on the aisle, right on the aisle as he was heading back, and he walked right past me. And guess what? He gave me a high five. <laughs> he gave me a high five. I kid you not. So I was able to meet Joel and Luke for, for King of Country, and I was able to, able to meet Toby Mac. You want to know something? I bet they have zero memory of that. <laughs> zero memory, right? That was 10 years ago. 10 years. They've played 1,000 shows since then. They've met who knows how many thousands of people, signed thousands of autographs. Toby Mac probably gave 150 people high fives just in front of me. Like, think about that, multiply that his whole career. I mean, he doesn't even know I exist, right? Like, he has no idea. Guess what? I don't know Toby Mac either. Just because I gave him a high five or just because I have an autographed drumstick doesn't mean I have a depth of knowledge of these men. I know a lot of facts. I can tell you the songs they sing, right? I can tell you my experience at their concert, but it doesn't go both ways. See, a lot of times in in the Greek culture, we we use this word knowledge, and the the Greek word is gnosis. Now, now that's that's just a, a personal, it's just personal facts. It's not a depth of knowledge. That's not the word that Paul's using in this text. See, the word that Paul's using in this text is epinosis. See, it's the word gnosis, but it's, intipi- it's intensified with a preposition epi. It intensifies the word. It's a depth of knowledge. And not only that, it's a mutual exchange of knowledge. See, that, that's what I was missing with Toby Mac and Joel and Luke and for King Country. It wasn't a mutual exchange of knowledge. Guess what? They didn't ask me how my mom and dad were doing. They didn't ask me, hey, what are your greatest fears right now? What are you struggling with? They didn't ask me, hey, Isaiah, what's God doing in your heart right now? Right? It wasn't a mutual exchange of knowledge. And when we see what's happening in this text, this is what Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to embrace. It's a mutual exchange of depth of knowledge. Also think about what's happening in the first century here. What's, what, what primary religion is on the rise here? It's Gnosticism. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a religion that finds its merit on having a secret knowledge of deity. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. That's not what we're talking about here. I want you to have a deeper knowledge of our Savior, a deeper knowledge of our Christ, a deeper knowledge of our God. So Paul, in part, is building a contrast to this. And he says, we don't need a secret knowledge. We need a deeper knowledge in the living Christ. We need a deeper understanding of our God. What's also interesting is if we look at the Old Testament context here, the Hebrew word is yada. And yada is a very intimate word, one that a husband and wife would express in the bounds of marriage, sexually. It's a, it's a depth. It's a husband and wife knowing each other better than anyone else knows them. It's growing and it's deepening. And the more you're with and the more you grow, the more you learn, the more that connectedness gets deeper and those roots go deeper. That's the idea that Paul's talking about here, that that our roots go deeper with Christ. Our knowledge goes deeper. It's growing and it's full. My question is, how are we doing in this area? 
How are we doing and, and growing and having a deeping, deepening relation, relationship with Christ, a full understanding of Christ? Do we have that or do we just have some really cool facts? We know the stats of Jesus, but we just don't know him. We have a lot of intellectual knowledge, but how is that impacting our heart? How is that, how is that driving how we, how we live our life? And is it driving our, our, our motivation to obey Christ deeper in deeper ways? Right? That's what we got to think through. Where, how, how are we doing? Where are we at in this area? Am I growing in this area? See, I worry when we're not, we're not growing in this area, we can be what James calls and defines as a double-minded person. Right? When our focus is divided, we're a bit unstable. This is what James says. If any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable. We are not growing in Christ. We are not developing those deep roots. It's a bit unstable for us. Having that surface knowledge leaves a person unstable. Believing myths about God leaves one unstable. Unstable people run from God, not to God. So how are we doing in this area? How are we growing in Christ? How are we growing in wisdom and knowledge of our Lord? How are we, how are we seeing him clearly? Which I feel like is kind of the next thing that Paul prays for. See, verses 18 and 19, Paul prays that they grow in knowledge, but, but I believe he also begins to pray for greater, uh, greater focus in their spiritual perspective. Notice what he says in verses 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So the first request, Paul says, hey, you're loving each other well. I love your faith. I'm going to pray that you continue to grow in this area so if, the, if, if deeper knowledge is the first request, the second request then is greater spiritual focus. We see the desire for clear focus in three bullet points in this, in this text. Paul says, I want you to grow in focus I'm, by doing these three things. I want you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know about and be reminded of the, richness, uh, the riches of your inheritance. And I want you to be reminded of the greatness of the power of Christ. This is how we develop clearer spiritual focus. Let's talk about the hope of their calling. What does Paul mean here? What's, what's he referencing here? Well, if we look back just a few verses behind us, I think we see the answer. I think we see the answer. Remember what Paul, he had just written about, we receive every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? That, in, that God shows us in him before the foundation of the world and that we are now blameless before him. That in love, he predestined us to be adopted into the family of God that we are blessed in the beloved, that his grace has been lavished on us, that he has made known to us the mystery of his will, and that through him we have an inheritance, which we'll talk about in a moment, and that the Holy Spirit is living in us and that he is the down payment of our inheritance. Now, all of this is in reference to the hope that Paul's talking about in our text. It's the hope of our eternal salvation paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and received in faith. This is the hope that Paul is talking about. 
Maybe a, a question that surfaces, though, is well, what does hope exactly like, actually mean? What does hope mean? Well, if we look at the Greek concept of hope, it means an eager and excited expectation. And knowing that we have full confidence that it, it will come. This is a biblical concept of hope. Hope is not wishful thinking, right? Hope is not, maybe a few examples. Hope is not just, man, I hope I get my promotion, right? Or I hope that she says yes when I ask her out on the first date. Or I hope the Packers win tonight. Go Raiders. <laughs> I'm excited for the Manning cast, but anyway. But that's, that's hope, right? That's, that, that's, that's what we think of hope. It's, it's, it's like a wishful thought and but the, but the biblical concept of hope is not that at all. It's, a, it's a, a firm and steady confidence that, okay, God, you have spoke this. You have declared this. I believe it will happen. I trust in you. This is the hope that we have. And, and this is what Paul is saying. We have confidence in our, in our hope because it's founded in Christ. Our hope is in Christ alone. It's not in other things. There's a deep assurance of our salvation because it rests in Christ. And Paul says, know the hope of your calling. You've been adopted to the family of God. He is your hope. Your salvation has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is your hope. But the problem is, the problem is we often find hope in other things, don't we? We often choose to find hope in things that just can't provide hope. I see this primarily in relationships. I have an opportunity to do a number of, uh, meet with a number of people for counseling and I've see, I see this all the time. I've seen this in my own life with my relationship with my wife. I place my hope in her. I, I place an expectation on her to, to fuel and to fill something in my heart that she just can't. I want her to be my hope. Make everything okay. Make it right. And people do this all the time. And we find other things to place our hope in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my expectation here. The problem is we set our, our bar way up here, right? This is our expectation. I expect this thing to, to bring me hope and joy and peace and all these different things we desire. The problem is reality, it comes in somewhere down here. You feel me? We have expectation, we have reality. You know everything in between expectation and reality? It's frustration. It's disappointment. It's anger. Confusion. And yet we do it all the time, don't we? Isn't it interesting that we, we tend to put our hope in things that only lead to disappointment and despair? Again, I see this all the time in relationships, but pick your poison. We place a lot of things. We place a lot of hope in a lot of different things. And Paul says, that, that's, not, that's not where I want you to place your hope. The hope of your calling. The hope of your salvation firmly rooted in Christ and he says, not only do I want you to remember your hope found in your calling, I also want you to remember the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. We see this concept all throughout Scripture, and I believe dwelling on our inheritance also cultivates hope in our heart. See, the inheritance that Paul is talking about is for those who have placed faith in Christ, the inheritance that we have is the new heavens and new earth that we will spend with him one day in eternity. It's, part of, it's the eternal kingdom. It's the salvation in Christ that we cannot lose. We have a new heaven and a new earth that we will one day inhabit. And our inheritance is wonderful and it's marvelous. And Paul says, I want you to think about that. See, Paul is not the only writer in the New Testament to talk about the inheritance. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. 
He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. See, the word for inheritance that Peter uses here is the word chloromia. And it's the same exact word that Paul is using when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And notice how Peter describes this inheritance. It's awesome. He says, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, and is being guarded by God's power. Right? This is the salvation that we have in Christ. And we, will, we have fully realized when we, when we reach our glorification in heaven. Right? So the inheritance that Peter and, and Paul are talking about is not a lump sum of money that, that we get from a rich relative someday that comes with a lot of stipulations. The inheritance is our eternal salvation in Christ being guarded by God in heaven, right? And, and the demands and the stipulations have been completely and fully met in Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. The demands have been met. We, have, we must only believe. And, and, and because of that, because of our inheritance that, that fuels hope in our heart, we can say as believers then the best is yet to come. The problem is when we place our hope in other things, we say this is the best it's going to be. But when we place our faith in Christ, we dwell and we meditate on the glorious riches and the inheritance that we have. As believers, we say the best is yet to come. Right? The best is yet to come. And the reality is that's good news because sometimes life's really hard. Even when it's great, even when, even when we're having the mountaintop experience, the best is still yet to come. The best is still yet to come. This isn't the best it's going to be. So Paul says, think about the hope of your calling. Think about the glorious riches in the saints. And then he says, be reminded of the immeasurable greatness of Christ's power towards you, towards the believers, according to the working of his great might. I love how Paul concludes this. I love this. What I find really fascinating about this is the language that Paul uses. Paul is using, what Paul's attempting to do to describe the power of Christ, he's, he's literally using every synonym available to him to describe Christ's power. I, I love what he does. He, he's, he's trying to find a way to say, this is what I'm trying to tell you. He, see, first, we, I'll, I'll use our English translation, then I'll, I'll throw in the Greek there. But we see the word power, power to those who believe. Right, that's dunamis. This is where we get the Greek or the word dynamite. Dunamis. It's think of the sheer force that occurs when dynamite is ignited and finally explodes. Paul says, that's what I want you to think about. And then he goes on to say, he uses the word working. This is the Greek word energia. One commentator defined it this way. It's the energizing force of the Spirit that empowers believers to live for the Lord. And then he uses the word great. This is the Greek word kratos, which means a dominion or power. So now he's talking about the authoritative power of Christ. And then we have might or strength. Well, I don't know what your translation says. Mine says might, but it's ikos. 
And it means force or empowered ability. Paul is trying to think of every word he can use to throw in there to say, this is the power of Christ that I'm talking about. It's like dynamite. It's the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the authority of Christ. It's the ability, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm trying to say. And Paul is using every synonym available to him to, to express this. But one thing that I notice is Paul does not say, hey, pray for this power. Paul does not say pray for this power. Paul wants them to be reminded of the power they already have. They want to be reminded of the power they already have. Right? I believe that we are filled with the Spirit, but the power we have in Christ, for those of us who have professed faith, we believe in Christ. We are in the elect. We are blessed in the beloved. We already have the power within us. And Paul is saying, be reminded of that power. Be reminded of who you are in Christ. Be reminded of these, this inheritance. Be reminded of the hope of your calling. And why were they able to do that? Why are we able to be reminded of that? Because of Christ in us. See, what Paul does now, he, he shifts to this glorious doctrine of union with Christ. Union in Christ. Notice how he concludes in verses 20 through 23. So remember, he's talking about the great power, the might that we have in Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is, uh, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things into the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Why could the church in Ephesus be reminded of their power in Christ that they already possess? Why could they be reminded of the inheritance that they have? Why could they be reminded of their hope of their calling? Why could they love each other so well and, and develop in their faith? Because Christ in them. Christ is in them. This is the union with Christ, meaning we are united with Jesus in his death. We're united with Jesus in his resurrection. Now, there's a bit of a mystery surrounding this union with Christ, but, but basically what this means is Jesus is in us and we are in Christ. We have been united with his death and his resurrection, and we now live in his hope. Everything that we desire, everything that we need to desire to, to grow deeper in our walk with Christ grow in our obedience is found in our union with Jesus. So Paul is writing to this church. He says, hey, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're growing in your faith. You're loving each other well, but I want you to keep going. I want you to grow deeper. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray you grow in wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to pray you have greater spiritual focus. And this can happen by accomplishing, this can be accomplished by, by thinking through the hope of your calling the inheritance that you have in the saints, the power of Christ who has been raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places and is above all things. This is how we accomplish this. Young adults, I'm praying the same thing over you guys. Many of you guys have, have taken some significant steps of faith. That is awesome. Some of you have, are here for the first time. That is awesome. Thanks for being here. Some of you are just beginning the journey. Some are a little farther into the journey. My prayer is the same for each one of you, that you continue to grow in your faith. If you don't know Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit grips your heart tonight and you believe in him by faith and you take that first step. And I want to see you keep going. 
So I'm going to pray the same thing that Paul did. I pray you grow in wisdom and knowledge. I pray you have greater spiritual insights. I pray you're remembering the hope of your calling, the inheritance you have in the saints, the power of Christ who is raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places and has dominion over all things. I pray that over you. I pray that we take our steps in growth, and I pray that we fix our eyes on Christ in all things. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for this text, so grateful that we have a reminder um, of where our, our spiritual focus should be, where our gaze should be, Lord. And God, I pray that our eyes are firmly fixed on you, that we are growing in wisdom and knowledge and revelation of you, Lord. You have revealed yourself to us through your word. God, I pray that our hearts are just drawn to the hope of our calling, that we are drawn to the inheritance that we are, uh, that we are receiving because of Christ. God, I pray that we remember that it's the power of Christ in us that it enables us to, to take steps forward in our faith. So be with us throughout the remainder of our evening. Be with everyone in this room today, Lord. Uh, may you be glorified with our lives. In uh, Christ's name we pray. Amen.